morning, First City Church. So I'm Rick. I'm one of the ministers. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. Man, Tyler, first week, huh? Man, thank you so much. You did such a good job. I really enjoyed our worship. I just enjoyed all of that praise. And those songs that were so focused on God, and they were just prayer songs, right? And so we've already kicked off our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I'm excited. I got so much to share with you today. Somebody's going to have to make sure that I stay on with our time so that I don't go over. I've been looking forward to this day for so long. And, and if you're brand new with us, maybe you're here for the first week or you've only been here a few weeks, I want to share with you a little bit of history about where we've been as a church and what we've been wanting to do and what we've been wanting to accomplish, not just as a church, but as a family of God reaching out to our community, trying to bless those in our community and especially the hurting part in our county and, the, and those, we call them pockets of pain, uh, those people, especially the children in our area who've just really been devastated by some decisions and things that have been going on. And, and, and we're kicking all of this off today. So our 21 days of prayer, the introduction to our new ministry called Lift, we're going to be talking about And so I need you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to be there. Then we're going to turn into Acts chapter 4. But just a little bit of the the history of what was going on New Testament times. And then we're going to talk about how that's showing itself in our community and what God's doing 2,000 years later. All through the Old Testament, the prophets kept predicting... One day there's going to come a Messiah. One day there's going to become a Messiah. One day, coming soon, there's going to be somebody who is going to rescue you from this body of filth, from sin, from Satan. And Isaiah prophesied it. Oh, he's going to come. And it's going to be like a light into the world. And he's going to turn our ashes into a thing of beauty. And he's going to set prisoners free. And he's going to free us and we're going to become alive. And so everybody's looking. When is the Messiah coming? When is the Messiah coming? And they gave all kind of predictions about how it was going to happen and when it was going to happen. And he was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and he was going to be born of a virgin. All those things that we celebrated during our Christmas holidays. And as we celebrated the death of Jesus, the Son of God, into our world and his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And how it began to set people free. So after Jesus' resurrection, he made himself known to a lot of people. He told his apostles, even before his death and while he's, and, and while he's alive, he's like, I've got to give my life as a ransom for many. And they're like, Lord, what are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean? He's like, it's, it, I have to do this. I have to do something to win the victory. And then I'm going to leave. And I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you'll be also. And they were like, where are you going? And how? we don't even know how to get there. And he's like, don't worry. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, and I'll never leave you. And I'm going to send a comforter. Who will be with you. And you follow him. But one day I'll come back. And I'll receive you. And where, where I am you'll be. Until then. This is your mission. Go into all the world. And preach the gospel to everybody. He that believes and is baptized. They're going to be saved. And I want you to teach them. And disciple them. In the way of God. And that's your mission. But I want you to wait, he said, for the Holy Spirit. This comforter, this gift I'm going to give you. And when he comes, he will lead you. He will show you. He will demonstrate. But you wait for him. So Jesus ascends 50 days later. We call it the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. 
the Holy Spirit comes. The apostles are praying in a room. It's 9 a.m. in the morning. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit just filled the room and the place was shaken. And they get up and they go out and they start proclaiming in the name of Jesus Christ. And the unique thing about it was Jerusalem was full of all of these people from all these different places speaking all these different languages. And they could hear and understand in their own language. That man is speaking Greek. But I hear him in my native tongue. And so they're like, something's going on. These guys must be drunk. What in the world is happening here? No, 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 no. They're not drunk. This is a move of God. Something is happening. And Peter stands up in front of them and he says, you crucified the Son of God. The prophet spoke of him. And he came. And we killed him. But he is alive. He won the victory over sin and over Satan. And he just preaches this message. And the Bible says in chapter 2 of Acts that the people were so convicted. They're like, what are we going to do? What should we do? And he said, repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And church was born. 3,000 people that day became followers, believers, disciples of Jesus Christ. And then they're like, what are we going to do? And they all came together, and they just started meeting. And and so we pick up the story, verse 44 of Acts chapter 2. It's going to be behind me. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, sharing their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It was an unbelievable time. They were meeting new people. They were all coming together. And church started. And they would meet on Sabbath you know, at the temple. And they continued to honor the things of that tradition. And then they would go and meet in each other's homes on Sunday. And they would celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that happened early on a Sunday morning. And they would talk about Jesus. They would share in this communion that we have, we'll share in together today also. And then they said, well, some of us have a lot and others of us have very little or nothing. And so they started sharing with each other so they could meet all of their needs. And this church came together and everybody shared with each other so that there were no needs among them. And they were glorifying God and praising God. And it was wonderful. Chapter 3, the enemy wants to separate, wants to tear apart. Persecution came. Who are these new believers? This fledgling group of outsiders who are trying to overthrow the Roman government. And they started telling them, hey, listen, I don't care if you meet in your home and you talk about Jesus Christ, but don't you bring that stuff out here in the streets. Don't you try to impact our community. But Peter and John couldn't help but speak about the things they had seen and heard. And this persecution rose, and so people got together, and they started praying. We need prayer. We need God. We need more of the Holy Spirit if we're going to endure and do what God has called us to do. And so in chapter 3, they just had a huge reliance on God and prayer. And the Bible says that God just made them powerful. And so in chapter 4, now church has shifted. Instead of us just getting together and meeting each other's needs... They turned their focus now out to all the community, out to all the hurting people. And now they, as a unit, as a body, as believers in Jesus, they started reaching out with the message and hope of Jesus Christ to everybody.
who did not know the good news. And so you turn in chapter 4, starting in verse 33. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. This was out to the community. The apostles testified powerfully of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they were in the streets preaching. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. They're talking about in the city. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles. And they gave to those in need. The whole church came together and they said, whatever we need to do to be a blessing to all those people who do not know God. We're going to take the message, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ into the community. And we're going to find those who are hurting and are in pain and in need. And we're going to reach out to them. And all of a sudden, the church became this evangelistic mission. Did more persecution come? Yes. And it's so much, in such a harsh way, the Bible, it says that it scattered the believers. And when they scattered, they took the message of Jesus with them. And the church grew and grew. 3,000 people. Within two chapters, 5,000 men. By the time you get to chapter 6, God was adding daily people into this community of believers. Their influence, they said, we cannot stop reaching out to people. Fast forward 2,000 years. Here we are. And we're a church. We're one of them. We are people who, it's been passed on this message of hope, this message of Jesus. One generation to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. To your great-grandparents, to your grandparents, to you. Maybe you didn't grow up in a home or in a family who honored the things of God. And so some neighbor, somebody, some visitor, some friend, some co-worker shared with you the message of the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ, and you became a believer. However it happened, we're all here. And now we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing with this one wild and precious life and this gift that God has given us? And so at the beginning of your outline, and I have these outlines for you in the Purex in front of you, so you can get one that just says, we need to be a mission-minded church. And everything we do is about reaching out to our community. The second bullet point on your outline is talking about the state of churches in America. And so as I began to look, and I do this all the time because it's my job, right? I mean, as I just began looking around at what's God doing and, and where are churches and are we fulfilling the Great Commission and are we doing what God has called us to do and, and is it alive in us? There are, these, there are several groups of people who, who all they do is survey churches, survey Christians, take polls to find out are we growing or declining? Are we more on fire for Jesus Christ or less? And so Pew Research and Gallup polls and general uh, social survey, all of these are just three different. There's a lot of different ones. And so I put in your outline Pew Research, Gallup, general social survey, all different polls that gauge the health of churches in America. And here are their findings. This is 2018. I just said a quote. The polls are in and the news is bad for church in America. Christianity is on the decline. Americans have given up on God, and the nuns, those who say they're not related to any church affiliation, the nuns who have no religious ties are on the rise. Now, we talked about that several years ago when things really started changing. Just in 2007, 16% of Americans would say, I have no religious affiliation. Today, one in four, it's about 25%. 
say they have no religious affiliation. And then they're looking at churches. 20 churches every month close their doors for the last time. And they say these churches are in decline. So they continue. This next one is meant to be sensational. Pew findings have led some to forecast the complete collapse of Christianity in the United States. The data, however, implies a more complex reality. Frankly, there is no credible research showing that Christianity is dying in America despite the flashy headlines we often see. And so sometimes, as you know, there's a lot of news. I don't want to say fake news. I don't want to borrow that phrase from anybody. But there's a lot of news. And sometimes it is meant to grab everybody and wake them up, even if they're sensationalizing the information. But this next paragraph, I'll put it on the hit on the board behind me. Instead, American religion is simultaneously growing and in decline, which sounds really weird when you first read it. Fewer people claim to be Christians, but churchgoers, those who regularly attend services, are holding steady in some segments and thriving in others. This is what the research is finding. And, and so I sit back and I wonder, okay, is this a move of God? Is God doing this intentionally, yes or no? What they found is this. There are a lot of churches all over the place who've put up buildings. they got a lot of people. And they come in. They form church. And if their attitude is this. We have church, we have Jesus, if you want it, come and get it. If you want it, here it is, right? But they make no real effort to go into the hurting pockets of pain in their community and have an impact in their community. For all the churches, he said this is pretty much over 99% of all churches this is true of. For the churches that have this inward focus where we focus on ourselves. if anybody wants to come, they can come, but we're not really having an impact out in our community 99% of those churches are dying. For the churches, however, who their main focus is we're going to reach out to the community. We're going to have serve date. We're going to go out. We're going to serve. We're going to share. We're going to grow. We're going to take the message. For all the churches who have an outward mission-minded focus, 99% of them are growing, thriving, becoming alive, and having an impact in their community. Pause. Where are we? Where are we? And so every day, what stays on my mind is this. If First City Church would die, would anybody in our community care? Would something go missing that is positive, that people in our community need? Would it go missing if we as a body ceased to exist? Good question. Are we having a real impact in the kingdom of God? For his glory, for his name's sake. So, let me, here's some history. Those of you who've been around a while, you know, and so bear with me. I'm just wanting to educate people who are brand new. Two years ago, we said, God is calling us into more. I had a meeting with the mayor and with some other people, and they're like, we're going to do something in this city, and we're, it's going to all revolve around what's called trauma-informed care, We're going to go after these hurting pockets of pain. It's affecting a lot of our children. It's a lot of foster care. A lot of things. 25% of our children in our community go to bed hungry every night. We have a higher rate of those cases of abuse that are reported. And where children are needing to be removed from their homes in this county more than any other county in the state of Florida. And per capita, way more. We have more children in that area where they're being abused and needing to be removed from homes more than they do in Miami or Jacksonville. And they're like, what's going on in our community? 
what's going on in this county. In our county, in the state of Florida, the crime rate is higher than any other county in all of Florida. The statistics of alcohol and abuse are greater than any other county in all of Florida. Of drug-related incidents, crime, more than any other place, any other county in all of Florida. And, and so our income levels are lower. Our, our graduation rates from high school are lower. And our, our, our homeless population. And it's like there's this, it's like there's this bubble of, of, evil, of, of evil on our county. Now what do we have more of that's really good? What do we have that's really good more of than any other county in the, in, in the state of Florida, any other state in America or around the world? What do we have more of than any place else in the world? Churches. More churches per capita than any other place in the world. How can that be? How can it be that we have more churches and yet the, the influence of the spirit who wants to defeat us in the work of God is greater. How can that be? There, I'm telling you, right? So we decided we're going to do something different. We're going to get involved. And in that meeting, and Brad Lord invited me to, we, have, we met over at the Methodist Church. Two of his churches were invited. There was one other church and there was us. And they stood up and they said, we're going to change our community. And we need everybody to get involved. And we're going to start running after pockets of pain in our community. And it's going to affect foster care. And it's going to affect our juvenile system and our jails. It's going to affect our homes. And it's going to affect our poverty rates. And it's going to affect our homelessness. And we need to get involved. And we have to pick and choose where we're going to get involved. And it was so overwhelming. But I came back and we met with our staff. And we'd made a decision. We're going to jump into foster care. And we're going to start that whole initiative. And we did. I talked to you about it two, almost two years ago. You list a year and a half ago. That this was exciting, and we jumped into it. Families started being qualified, and all of a sudden, the enemy started attacking us. This is where I get emotional. It was so hard when your staff is being attacked by the enemy, and you know they've done nothing wrong, and and marriages are hurting, and relationships are severing, and people are. And it was just, it's hard, and we came under attack. And our staff turnover showed in different ways. And I'm telling you, good, good people. And I'm not wanting to embarrass Taryn or Jesse, but they've been pouring their hearts into this foster care system. And they came under attack due no fault of their own. In such a strong way, it made them say, I don't even know that we can do this. I don't know that God wants us to do this. And we almost backed out. Every family that was involved in foster care came under attack and I'm just confessing to you, I didn't lead that well. And one young man opened my eyes to spiritual warfare in such a powerful way. It changed me. We started going at this differently. And we gathered back up and God has firmed up. And I'm telling you, the reason that we're here today beginning a 21 days of prayer and fasting is not because we're just into programming. But it's because we need a desperate move of God if we're going to do something in this city. Because as much as God wants to get involved in your life and do something powerful, and he does. The enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Amen? 
And we're about to go into more warfare than ever before. But I'm telling you, I want to remind you of this. Jim Beecher prayed over me this morning. He's like, Rick, I want to remind you. You know, God has already won the victory. Satan has already been defeated. The battle has already been won. All we have to do is claim it and by faith go into the community. So, four keys, the back part of your outline. And my time is already up, but look at this. Four keys. We have to have committed leadership. Committed leadership. I love that Judges chapter 5 passage, you know, that just says, you know, when the leaders of Israel took the lead and the people willingly followed, man, praise the Lord. There's your three-point outline to a church growth. Leaders took the lead. Our shepherds are all in. Our staff all in. I'm meeting on Saturday mornings every month, you know, with some men. And we're just finding out, trying to find out what is it that we need to do to come together in a real way to shepherd up this body of people and do something powerful in the name of Jesus. And so we have to come together. Now, there's some churches, the Gallup polls were studied, in the Pew Research, they said this. There are some pastors who get all excited and they're like, man, we're going to go do something in the community in the name of Jesus. But their church doesn't want to do it, so they fire the pastors. There are others where the church says, we need to do something in the community in the name of Jesus. But the pastor's satisfied to play golf and go home. And they ended up firing him because of that. They said 90% of the pastors don't make it through the transition. I just don't believe that's who we are. I believe that together from with our leadership, with our team, I believe God is doing something in you that says, man, I want more. Or do I have that right? It's the next point on our outline. The next point says, there must be the spirit of desperation to act. And what the, what the research found is, if there's a group of people in the church who are saying, man, I've been unsatisfied. There's something inside me that wants more from God. If that's you, then God is moving in your heart, creating this this desperation of we have got to be a part of something great that God has his hand in. And I want to be a part of it. Psalm 54, verse 4. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. I was in a prayer conversation with a, a, a lady who is a leader here. And she said, Rick, nothing in my life is sustainable. If, I, if I'm looking for something that's sustainable, I'm going to do nothing. But if I go with God, then I'm depending on Him sustaining me. And if I don't have Him, I can't do it. Wow. Now there's you a challenge. Have we, ha, are we at a place where we just want to make sure that we're comfortable Or are we willing, is there a group of us that's willing to say, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how I'm going to be able to do it. But God is bigger. And I'm going to rely on him and we're going to run after this. And and, and we're just going to see what God will do. And we're going to expect that he'll keep his word and sustain us through that process. And he will. God is so good. He is so good. So... I'm excited about it. Number three, a dependency on God. A dependency on God. I'm going to read this verse. The group must have, this comes from the research, this church, this group must have an utter, desperate, prayerful dependence on God. They must fall on their faces before God and seek His way and only His way. Moses said it this way, Lord God, if your presence does not go with us, do not let us go up from here. And so... We're starting today our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it is a deep reliance on the things of God. It is because we're going to need him. The, the enemy, 
I'm telling you, it, what happens is, it, for whatever reason, we're like, oh, I just don't feel good. I just, I, did you hear what they did? Did you see what they did? That just offended me. And if we're not careful, we're going to turn on each other. Most of the churches, as I've been doing my research, trying to find out, how did this church get started? How did that church get started? How did that church get started? How did that church get started? You know what is an old story in this town? That most of the churches got started because they couldn't get along with another brother or sister. I drive by several churches on my way in. And one church got started and they started doing this beach ministry and it was awesome. And somehow the enemy got involved. Next thing you know, they're arguing and they split. And so now, less than 100 yards away, two churches who don't talk to each other are reaching out to people who don't know God. Now listen to me carefully. Those people are really good people with really good hearts who want to do something in the name of Jesus. But if your eyes are not open to the fact that the enemy is trying to split us apart so that we lose our effectiveness, we're going to miss it. And so we need this deep dependency on God. Every one of us today, when we're going to be going through and taking the communion on these, on these trays in front and in the back, we have this foster guide, foster care prayer guide. And I have one per family. So, so if, you're a, if you're single, you're a family unit. If you have as many children as the Howells, you're a single family unit. And so every family, we want you to take this with you. And we want you to be, begin to pray over this. There are 24 identified groups. And we pray for them every day. Children in foster care. Biological families who are having their children removed from their home. How can we help them? Churches, foster parents, child welfare professionals, counselors, therapists, journalists, researchers. It's on and on. 24 different groups all coming together to do something in our, our city just for the name of Jesus Christ to rescue hurting children. And it's so bad. It's, I'm telling you. Once your eyes are open to it, it's, and we're going to open your eyes to it. And on January the 23rd, we're creating a foster care experience. And I'm just going to tell you, it's uh, PG and R rated. It's not for children. It's for adults. And you'll get a realistic picture of what's going on in our city. I was at Peg Leg Peaks the other night. Thank you, Freddie. You have such a great restaurant. And I'm sitting with my wife. And behind me comes in two couples, and they sit down. The two girls are speaking Russian. I don't want to talk about the two men. There's a big gap in age. But when I listened to the girls who were talking in Russian, my antennas went up because I know of the, of, of the child sex slave ring that broke apart in Atlanta that infiltrated down into Destin and into our area. And so as soon as I hear Russian-speaking girls, I know what's going on. And I heard enough of their conversation that my spirit was really bothered. I was trying to figure out, what should I do? What should I do? What, what you know, and, and as I left and as I've called the hotline and tried to get somebody to come over and do a rescue, my eyes became aware to what's really going on. And once your eyes become aware to a situation, it looks normal to everybody else. But to those to whom God is speaking, you can tell there's something that's not right here. And when those two men got up to go smoke, but they stayed so they could continue to see those girls. 
and one of the young girls started crying. She is overwhelmed at what is expected of her that night with that man. And I'm trying to figure out to her, how can I help you? Do you need help? We need a dependency on God. And our eyes are going to be open and we're going to start moving in a real way. And we're going to rescue people who are hurting in our community. And we need to know, okay, God, what are you calling me to do? How am I going to get involved? Because we're going to go in one of two directions. We're going to stop and say, oh, I don't want to do that. That sounds dangerous. I'd rather just play it safe and have a dying church. Or we're going to get involved and rescue these people that God is calling us to go rescue. And it's not all dangerous. Some of it's just really fun. But some of it's dangerous. And our eyes need to be open to it. And so we just need, as a church, we're going to come together. and We're going to do something, number four, storm the community with love. Storm the community with love. That's some good music right there. And we're going to go into our community. And God's going to use you in a powerful way to transform this community and a lot of hurting lives. And this is what's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be next year, two years, or five years. But one day we're going to come up and we're going to celebrate together the fact that we no longer have a foster care crisis in our city. That God has rescued and used you in a powerful way to do something in this community that he wants done. And I'm telling you, we're going to celebrate and praise God. And, and God's already bringing an army of people. Several people have just come and just moved here. And they're like, I don't know why we're in Pensacola, but God just moved us here. And they're like, well, what do you do? And they're like, well, uh, I provide assistance to foster care families. I met this morning a lady named Marla who just came here to church. And she's like, I cannot believe it. God moved into this area and I don't know why, but this is what I do. I'm like, we need you. There was a couple who we reached out to with the Christmas gifts, and they all came for foster care, and we jumped through a lot of hoops last minute to make that happen. Have I told you thank you for that yet? Praise God for what you did. One of the families who came and was affected, they brought their children. They wrote me a card this week, and I got the card. And in the card, it just said, you've done so much. Thank you so much for what you did for foster care families. We love what your church is doing. We want to be a part of it. We don't even go to your church. But here's a check. It's the only time I've seen the check since I've been at First City in 11 years. A $2,200 check that says, put this towards your effort to rescuing foster children. And thank you so much. I'm telling you, God is going before us in a powerful way. And you're going to see a mighty move of God just because you're being willing to be used by him to make a difference. Now you're going to ask, how do I get involved? What's my role? I don't know what to do. Next week, come back and bring a friend. And we're going to show a lot of different ways to get involved. He's calling a few people to become foster parents. He's calling a bunch of others to support them in powerful ways. And others to use their talents and gifts to do something in this community. And, and, and it's not just with foster parents. We've got a lot of single moms who are trying their best to raise their children in the Lord without losing them. We need to do so. There's a lot of different ways this is going to show itself. And man, I'm telling you, teenagers, God's going to use you in a powerful way. Adults, God's going to use you in a powerful way. Young men, women, you're going to see a mighty move of God. Are you excited? I'm telling you, I've been waiting on this day for a long time. And I'm asking you to join me in 21 days of prayer and fasting. I need you.
I need you to participate. If you've never participated before, or if you've just taken it lightly, this is not something to be taken lightly. This is something we're going to enter into as a deep dependence on God. And right now, we're going to open up this time for communion and for prayer. And so over the next three weeks, the last 15 minutes of our worship service, 10 minutes or so, we're going to open it up. And this house is going to be a house of prayer. And so I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to have all of you stand here in just a minute. We have some prayer teams of people who are ready. And uh, they'll, some of them I have on orange badges that just say prayer team. And we'll be up in the four corners and uh, I'll be over here. And, and so here, here when we stand up in just a minute, I'm going to ask those of you who are leaders and prayer team people to just go to the four corners. And as you get up as a family and come and just share in communion up at the front or in the back, you can take the bread and eat and the cup and drink and just celebrate Jesus. There's a book that you can take one per family for the foster care. And then go over and pray with somebody. This is the place where we ask for prayer. This is the time where we just say, God, I need you. Just pray with somebody and say, God, what, is, what are you wanting me to do? How am I going to get involved? Right now, today, there is a child that needs to be rescued who we believe is on its way where people are running with the child. And we, our eyes are open, so we're asking, pray, pray, especially now today. That we're rescuing these children. Rescuing, and God, show me. Open up. Help me to see my role in what we're going to be doing. Whatever that role is. Okay? So we're going, to, we're going to go into a time of prayer. We're going to go into a time of communion. There are going to be people who are already waiting and ready to pray with you. And let's just make for the next 10 minutes in here this time of prayer. So pray with some people. Go back to your pews and pray with other people's, but other people. But can you just can we just pray together? Find somebody who's new and say, "How can I pray for you?" And just pray. And then we're going to have a song. Then Savannah will come up at the end. We'll all end up praying together and ending our worship together. Before the next ten minutes, this house is a house of prayer. Stand with me, please. Stand with me, and let's begin this time of communion this time of celebrating the love of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then as we just pray with each other and then ask somebody, tell me your name. How can I pray for you? And then just pray with them. And if you want some prayer, then come up in our prayer team. So those of you who are on the prayer teams, if you'll go ahead and go up to the four corners. I know our shepherds are here. Clarence is up here. Taryn, if you will also, Suzanne and I'll come up to this corner. I see Teddy standing in the back and his wife, Alan and Becky, you're over here. We have people upstairs, so our prayer teams are ready. This is the place where we ask for prayer. Man, I'm so glad you're here. Let's pray together. Lord God, today marks a day where we drive a stake in the ground and we say to all those hurting children who are crying out to you every night, we're coming. We're coming with the love the grace and the mercy of Jesus we're going to rescue you and we're going to reach out to your parents and we're going to try to save them in the name of Jesus and we're going to support well foster families who will house you for a time and we're going to support them and love them with Jesus and we're going to make sure that in the end you find salvation for your soul Lord God Unite our hearts and our minds, this body. Unify us in the name of Jesus. Show each of us how we can get involved. And we don't even have to worry about it. 
All we have to do is take a step and you'll open up and provide the way. And as we take a step today, Lord God, toward these communion trays and toward this real initiative, lead us, guide us, show us, equip us, secure us, protect us. Thank you for loving us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is your time, a time of prayer. Come, share in the communion of the Lord. Come together. Let's pray together. We'll end our time in prayer. Thank you.